Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a new episode of The Witching Hour. I'm Perry. This is Haley, and I'm so happy it's The Witching Hour. Yeah, me too. It's the best part of the week every week. It really is. And, you know, the sad situation that's unfolding right now is that nobody can see how epic Haley's shirt is. Oh, oh yeah. It's a, it's a pretty sweet Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom swag shirt. A so, lovely shade of green that really complements my skin tone. I'm usually, this This is going to sound really obnoxious, but like every time we get swag shirts, it's always like a bajillion sizes too big and made with cardboard. Yes. That shirt you're wearing is hands down one of the softest, most loveliest shirts I've ever received. It is a <laughs> fantastic shirt, which is why I wear it, even though it is possibly the most unflattering color I've ever put on. I, th- but I don't think I don't you're- care. I don't think you're giving the color of that shirt or the color of that shirt on you enough credit. Well, thanks, friend. I mean it. So we've got plans today. We're each going to give you kind of a, a like a mini review-ish type thing. I know Haley's got something from Fantasia she wants to make sure you're all aware of. I will do a non-spoiler review of Don't Breathe 2. And then we are going heavy into brand new cherry flavor. We're going to do a non-spoiler review. So if you haven't watched the show, you are safe. And then for all of you who did watch it and your heads are spinning right now, stay tuned because we'll do a spoiler-filled conversation as well. I'm so excited for the spoiler-filled part because I have intentionally like not really talked to you about this show in detail because I wanted to do it here, but I have so much to say. I regret not having filmed my reaction as I watched it. (laughs) I know. (laughs) All right. Before we get there, though, what is the movie you want to talk about? Yeah. So uh, this is one of the most recent things. I've been making my way through Fantasia screeners, and this one just went up, uh, I think, yesterday, maybe the day before. Anyway, it's called Hellbender. It is by the Adams family with one D. They are a family DIY filmmaking unit. They did the deeper the the deeper you dig, not the deeper that you dig, the deeper you dig. which was on the festival circuit a couple years ago. That one I was like lukewarm on, but I gave it a lot of credit because it had a scene that literally almost made me throw up. Like that was very viscerally effective. This one I love. Like this is 110% my shit. It is basically a uh, coming of age mother-daughter story wrapped up in witchcraft and... Uh, it's like it doesn't quite do it justice to call it witchcraft because the mythology they introduce is so much more complex than that but I just I think it's a really really cool uh, piece of world building I guess is what I'm so blown away by it like it's clearly a low budget film but it looks freaking great and I can't remember the last time I watched something actually it ties into cherry brand new cherry flavor because that that's the other thing recently I saw where I was like wow you just built a world and a mythology unlike anything I've really seen before. And I've not, I don't know, it's been a long time since I've seen something that invented like creatures or magic or anything like that that felt so new and fresh to me. I highly recommend it. It is at Fantasia right now. I know it's, a, I believe it's a fairly limited window and that is, of course, geolocked to Canada. So if you can't watch it there, keep an eye out. It will also be playing at Fantastic Fest. Um, I'm not 100% on if it'll be available 
you know, via their virtual element or just in person. Point being, keep an eye out for it because I think it's really cool and really unique and super effective. It's by far my favorite thing I've seen at Fantasia so far of all the screeners I've watched. Jeez. Yeah. Like, I want to watch it now. <laughs> I, I highly recommend it. All right. Tis, tis going on the list. I might have to send some emails after this. <laughs> um, that's going to be far more exciting than what I have to talk about. Um, I'm going to give you a non-spoiler review of the new release, Dope Breathes 2. I feel like that tee-up wasn't really fair. Yeah, that's how people can go watch that right now. That's probably more exciting. Mine's like, oh. just keep an eye out for whenever you can, if you can. I meant more just because I feel like that tee-up insinuated that I didn't like the movie. Which I'm, I'm kind of right in the middle on it. I don't think it's it's great. I definitely don't think it's as good as the first one, but it does it does work. And you know, I was um, I was side slacking with Greg today and came up with I think a good franchise comparison. You know what "Don't Breathe" two feels like to me? What it feels like the Purge Anarchy in that. The Purge, the first Purge, not the first Purge, the first Purge movie was a horror home invasion movie. And then the Purge Anarchy shifted a little and it became more of an action movie. That's kind of how it feels with Don't Breathe, where it was like a little more like darker and sinister and hard driven with the first one. But this one feels feels more focused on showing off cool action set pieces. But, you know, while, while holding on to some of the themes and the ideas that were present in the first film. So they, you know, they feel connected. But the problem is if they feel connected and if this movie is about blind man Norman and it doesn't include Rocky, I don't know. I feel like that concept alone just dug them the deepest hole imaginable. How can you possibly continue this franchise with him and expect people to, I was going to say root for him, but I mean, like expect, expect someone to like a second movie that is largely focused on him. And I think they found a, a decent way around that. And it's the fact that Norman in the movie is, you know, trying to live a quiet secluded life with this young girl named Phoenix and the movie positions Phoenix as your protagonist. She is very clearly the one you're supposed to be rooting for. It just so happens that, you know, Norman is vital to her safety in this situation. And I appreciated the fact that I never felt like the movie was trying to get me to forgive him. That's good. Cause yeah, no hard. No. Yeah, so I, I pretty much went into this movie thinking it was going to be an impossible sequel concept to pull off, but I think that all the behind-the-scenes elements are, you know, again, not as good as the first film, but on a fairly high tier. I think the set pieces were very well executed, and the movie in general is just very well shot, and I think they got there well enough with the story to recommend the movie if the series is of interest to you. Obviously, it's not a like a super enthusiastic recommendation, but this this was definitely way better than what I was expecting. That's intriguing. I, I am curious about I'm not such a big fan of the first one. Um, in large part, I, oh, I've been very open due to the ending, which I just yeah. didn't care for. But I, I also just like it didn't connect with me the way it did with a lot of people up to that. 
So I'm always curious when that's the case, if I'm going to go into the sequel that's getting like solid, but not the rave reviews the first one got and be like, well, you know what? I actually prefer that. Yeah, I would be curious to know your opinion. And I would be curious to know someone's opinion who never saw the first movie, but just jumped in here because I think you can do that. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's going to be a different experience, obviously, but I think it, it's it's possible. And I would just be very curious to know how someone felt watching this movie without having seen the events of the first film. We just keep an eye on Dreaded over the weekend. There's bound to be somebody. Yeah, yeah, probably. All right. Should we brand new cherry flavor it now? Yes, please. I'm so excited. Holy shit, this show. <laughs> I feel like this is the point where we should be giving some sort of a synopsis, but... I dare you. I don't, I don't even know. I mean... I guess I could say that Rosa Salazar is our lead character, Lisa Nova. She's an aspiring filmmaker who moves to L.A., gets all excited that she's going to get the opportunity to have her movie made. And then the rug is pulled out from under her and she's just basically completely fucked over and wants revenge. Yeah, I'll actually say that I think Netflix, that is 100 percent a correct and more informative synopsis. But I, I will flag that I think Netflix's logline for this show was perfect, which is. A filmmaker heads to Hollywood in the early 90s to make her movie, but tumbles down a hallucinatory rabbit hole of sex, magic, revenge, and kittens. Like, that is a much more colorful description than what I just said. It's not as informative. It's very colorful. It was the first thing I ever saw about the show. And I was like, oh, so it's for me. And I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, they definitely make do on, on all of that. Yes. Um, Man, this is a hard one to talk about without getting into any spoilers, but you brought up world building before, and that's another, this is another one that does, you said this, this is another one that does that very, very well, where even though I wasn't necessarily fully understanding everything every single second or putting things together, probably not the right way, I was so, like, intrigued and mesmerized by all the little details that I was getting that it it didn't matter. I was just like so fully enveloped in this scenario at any given moment that like the lack of clarity, which is something that usually does bother me when I'm watching something, it never took me out of it for an instant. I also feel like this, you know, very intentionally exists in that kind of dream logic realm it's very Lynchian and very mm -hmm. on purpose, very Lynchian. Um, so that it's part of a package that you probably won't be able to draw direct lines from like A to B when you want answers because dream logic doesn't work that way. So I think that helps it work better. Mm -hmm. Like um, you just kind of have to strap in and go for the ride and let it take you wherever it wants to go, which is honestly so many places so many places so many places i've never been before <laughs> i mean there there were just like countless times in watching this series where i'm like what i have never seen that in my life i know and it is i think it's one of the coolest things or maybe the most impressive things about the show is it is really heavily riffing on established uh, filmmaking voices like Cronenberg's another mm -hmm. one that you'll be like well that's very Cronenbergian <laughs> and it's riffing on very familiar archetypes of like the the sleazy Hollywood narrative but it somehow makes it feel completely its own thing mm -hmm. I, it's it's 
Well, we haven't mentioned that, you know, it is um, co-created by Nick Antosca of Channel Zero and um, Le Lenore Zion, I believe, who, who did an episode of Channel Zero. The reason I bring that up is similarly, uh, the way Channel Zero was able to take like a, um, you know, a piece of creepypasta and build an entire season long world out of that. This really takes those archetypes of sleazy Hollywood and the familiar tropes of certain genres and filmmakers and then repurposes it into a whole new world. Yeah, I definitely, as a big Channel Zero fan, was a was very into that component of the show, but also it, you know, it, it almost did feel like to a point that this could have been a season of Channel Zero in terms of, you know, the, the tone, the cadence, the detail and the production design. Like, I feel like this world could be adjacent to some of the other scenarios that we saw play out in Channel Zero. Yeah, definitely. Except with like every, I don't know, railing off. I don't, not that Channel Zero didn't tend to hold back very much and it didn't feel limited, but on Netflix, you can do yeah. anything and it gets real graphic and really disturbing and all kinds of ways. Please, please remind me to bring up so like, I'm just thinking about something that made me go like, you're Netflix, you could do any anything, but can you really do this? Like, <laughs> I feel like you're breaking a very specific rule right now. I can't wait to find out what it is because there are so many moments you could be talking about. Oh, there is one in particular. I will okay. tell you about it. But before we get there, I feel like we got to highlight how damn good this cast is. Oh my goodness. I also feel like when you take such a big, wild narrative swing like this, the only way it's going to work is if every single person involved gives their role 100% and brings so much conviction to the role. And holy shit, like I believe everything these characters did. And the other, the other thing about this, which I think feeds into the confusing narrative of it all is the fact that like these are these are fallible characters that change their minds too. And yeah. I found I found that interesting because like there's certain things that on the surface I could be like, well, that's not in character. Like she wanted this five minutes ago. But like because of how like warped and wild everything is, and because of what they bring to the character through their performance, I believed every decision, even if it wasn't a logic-based decision. I Yes, I think I agree with that. I think the only like hiccup I have is in accepting that uh, Lisa Nova Rosa Salazar's character would ever have faith in the person who ends up screwing her over. Uh, that, but that's like the first scene of the first episode, so you have to get past that. She just seems smarter than that to me, and they're so immediately an asshole. But other than that, I, I do agree that like once you're in for the ride and accept the like dream logic, you, you go with where they want to go, especially because, like you said, they change their mind. And that is something that people do. And what I like about this is once she sets out on her path of vengeance, I'm trying to be non-spoilery, um, everyone becomes locked in a situation they can't escape. And I think that it's more interesting to be in that situation if you're constantly changing your mind mm -hmm. once the wheels are in motion and you can't go back. Not that this is a super realistic show, but like that is a more realistic approach to developing a character too. I figured, yeah. 
No, I didn't forget. Um, it's because Coda was coming out. This uh, Coda is coming out. It's probably available right now on Apple TV Plus. And I think at the end of my review for that, I wrote something to the effect of, you know, like a story like this means that much more when it ends in a place that doesn't put like a nice, neat little bow on top of the story. Like you end in a place where these still feel like real people that even though maybe they've overcome one challenge, everything around them that could be challenging doesn't dissipate and fade away. They feel like real people that just experienced a very particular chapter in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that those two concepts kind of go hand in hand. I would agree. And it makes me think, um, I don't want to move on without saying this. Obviously, Rosa Salazar is going to get a very well-deserved a lot of praise for this performance. She is better. She better. And (laughs) Catherine Keener, likewise, will attract a lot of attention because this is like maybe the most over-the-top hammy scenery chewing performance I've ever seen from her and I say that with nothing but love and affection because Hmm. it works perfectly for this show. Yes it does. Uh, But I did want to spotlight Eric Lang who plays Lou. He's so good! I think he's going to get looked over a lot because his performance isn't as flashy and that's (gasps) what it needs to be. It needs to not be as flashy because you have to stay with this guy you immediately don't like for the run of the show. It's so tricky and he does such an incredible job. He does it so, he does it so, so well. I'm, (laughs) I'm like on the verge of like spewing like a whole bunch of spoilery things that I (laughs) want to say in order to highlight how good he is, but not spoiling anything for you. I'll just further emphasize what Haley just said. And everyone's everyone's great, but yeah. he just to me stands out as like the the sleeper assassin of the show. It doesn't work if that role doesn't. Yes, work. I will very much agree with that. Can we just talk about spoilers now? Let's do it. Let's do it. All we, right. We obviously highly recommend this. Yes. Um. Don't watch it around anyone who's very sensitive to like gore or violence or uh shit that's just too weird to stomach like that's a fair warning put put your kids to sleep first (laughs) yes definitely (laughs) do that all right so this is your one and only spoiler warning for the entirety of brand new cherry flavor this is a limited series right so like Mm -hmm. yeah all right that's what they're saying right now i wouldn't be surprised you know netflix is fairly fluid about that stuff if it's Eh, shit i hope i hope they wind up approaching it that way um but this is your spoiler warning all right spoilers let's talk about spoilers so wait i can you go back to what you were saying before about not believing something that lisa did oh i don't believe that she would get into business bed with lou so foolishly and i thought that's what like what what nothing about him doesn't present as a guy who's gonna fuck you over so I'm going to agree and disagree with you because like the red flags were going up the second I saw him on screen. It's like, I know the, you know, the, the producer cliches and, and what that type of character is likely to do in this situation. But I think that that's where Lang's performance comes in handy. Cause I was, I was rewatching the first episode, even having seen the whole season. I'm like, like you a smooth talker. And and it's also it it also ties into not I mean, it's very manipulative. He is trying to manipulate her, obviously. But I feel like he winds up coming across as more convincing because he's a manipulative asshole. But also at his core, 
he deeply loves cinema so much. And I think that fuels the manipulation of his whole act in a way that like almost like you can't help but to be dazzled by what he says to a degree. And I feel like that was believable enough of a presentation for me to think that someone first arriving in LA and playing this game for the very first time might be so enticed by this, this, you know, once in a lifetime kind of opportunity for a new filmmaker trying to break into the industry that she would sign on the dotted line. I, I get that a hundred percent. And like, um, I know that it is part of the point that there's such an enormous power imbalance there. Like for her, it's make or break. It's everything for him. It's a movie he wants, but doesn't need. Um, I, I get all of that. It's just maybe the way it's presented to me. Um, her lack of hesitation doesn't read as honest to me. Like she's impulsive though. She is like, she's sold as like an impulsive well, yes, the whole like downfall of every single character yeah. on the show is due to her impulse. I agree with that. I agree with that. I just, to me, there's just, she's not dumb. She's impulsive, but she's not dumb. And that's the only part. And she licked the of- damn toad. There's a little dumb in there. Just a little bit. That's, that's so fair. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe I just misread the character. I don't, it's just to me, it's a way it's presented. I wish there had been a little bit more uh, than that scene with her friends where one of them's like, get a lawyer. And she's like, I can't afford a lawyer. It just feels, and also, but I grew, I like, I grew up in Southern California. Maybe I'm too used to these assholes. Uh, I don't know that, but honestly, that also is the first episode of the show. And I was not yet in the like anything goes mind space yet so it's such a minor thing that I got over pretty quickly you know I think they explain the whole show in episode one too yeah yeah what are you referring to there's I think there's one conversation between Boro and Lisa where she basically lays out the fact that like you got something special in you and this this whole journey that you're gonna go on is about bringing it out and that's exactly what it was and that's yeah it's like you have something tasty or young yeah. or something um and it's also in the way that she explains the film to Lou is very much like this woman wants has something special that everybody wants mm-hmm. um and that's the whole idea yes. yeah I agree the whole it's all in there in the first episode I'm glad I rewatched it before we did this <laughs> so can I tell you what I was trying to hint at before yes I feel like I'm jumping all over the place but it's fine like listen Having a character puke up kittens. Yes, it got a holy <laughs> shit reaction to me. There were a couple of gore sequences that like blew my freaking mind. The one thing that I was like, is this crossing a line even for Netflix? Is like the side thingy. The Cronenberg the stuff. Because like, is that not porn? <laughs> like, is well, it? I mean, no, it's not. <laughs> because we don't have those in our bodies. So it wasn't two people having like sex on camera. But But it was essentially like moving a part of the body we do have to a different part of your body. So I would say (laughs) that 365 days is way closer to porn than anything we get in the show. But I think what's really cool about you asking that is that it actually is so, while it is repulsive, and disturbing it is so effectively sensual that that's where your mind went 
which is just, a phenomenally difficult combination of things to pull off. I want to do interviews for this just so I could feel insanely awkward about asking all of these things. <laughs> but like, I want to know everything about the behind the scenes requirements in order to make that look the way it did. It's so gross, but it is like her performance there is so key in that she is loving it. I don't, it, it's wild. I, I want to know everything about what it took to film that and make it look the way it does. And also the puking up of the kittens, because like, I know that there's probably visual effects artists involved here, but there, there are certain things that to a point look so practical to me. And like my brain can't compute how something like that could happen. I it's, that's my review of this whole show. My brain can't compute how something like that could happen. <laughs> Just like, I wish you saw my reaction. The first episode when I hit the end and that happened. You never see it coming. Whoever would have guessed. You've never seen it before. She's going to take her payment in vomited oh. cats. Oh my. Yeah. That's... I, man, when they were like, Honestly, when I read that log line that I read earlier and it ended with kittens, I was like, man, are they going to kill a bunch of cats like ritualistically? No, this is so much better. There are some really cute cats in this show, too. Yes, like that, are. that little one that kind of becomes uh, Lisa's friend is, is such a unique looking cat. And I loved it. The great little little fuzzy actor or probably yeah. like 40 actors yeah whatever. probably well i don't know though that's another like movie <laughs> magic thing i was thinking about is there can't be many cats on this earth that look like that <laughs> well you'd be surprised with the way animals are bred these days yeah uh, uh, that's probably true <laughs> um where to even go from here i don't it's such a like that's how I feel about this show in general is I was so consumed by watching it and I flew through it so fast and I was so over like sensory overload that it's very hard for me to break it down into logical parts when I think about it. It's just like an experience. I mean, this feels like it's just swinging for the fences at this point, but I mean, can, can you explain the ending or pose questions you had about the ending? Explain like what part of it? I don't even, that's why I, I don't know where to begin with this show. All right, so we know about the story of Boro and the Jaguar. Yes. Then oh, there- A nice touch I liked rewatching the first episode is when you go into Boro's little jungle place for the first time. Um, she's like tattooing yes. a, a jaguar. Very nice. I, I dug that. So she's got her story with screwing over the jaguar. And that's, you know, why she she is the way she is, why she's jumping bodies and all that. Then we've got Lisa, who through this whole process winds up forming a connection with that entity that fought that entity, by the way, felt very channel zero to me. And I liked yes. it. You know what else it reminded me of? It reminded me of um, Elagos from Ash versus Evil Dead. And oh. I loved that creature as well. So. That creature is her mother this is probably my biggest lingering question of the entire show um that and the general rules of like afterlife yes uh, uh as in like do 
Boros zombie creatures have? Do they go to the other side or are their souls stuck in their bodies to a certain extent? But no, you've hit on the one thing I'm 100% entirely not sure about and I wish I had had time to rewatch the whole freaking series. I know. I I, I rewatched the first two episodes and the last two episodes just because I didn't have time to watch the whole thing and I was, I was all mad at myself when I still couldn't fully put the pieces together because like that, that seems... That seems like it is the most likely truth of the show is that it is her mother and that she was looking out for her and the idea of not being able to see the the, the face yes, because she never knew what her mother looked like. But then I also started to wonder if, if Lisa, if, if like the faceless person, the evil entity that or supposedly evil entity that follows her and also, I guess, you know, Jaguar in couch form, if maybe it was all all kind of connected, like if there is some jaguar in Lisa and that's why she was drawn to this whole scenario to begin with. And that's why she was capable of doing what she did with the with the short film. So you're hitting on all the things I was wondering and that I feel like I'm missing uh, something that will make yeah. it all click together. It's just that um, if that is just her mother, why is she so powerful in this afterlife in a way we don't really see elsewhere. I just, I feel like I'm missing something that's probably in there that I didn't catch on a first watch that makes all of this and the and the couch click together. Because there is one thing that was said towards the end where it's like, Boro is taking my, my blood through you, which, yes. which I guess semi-confirmed to me that Lisa is related in some sense to the Jaguar. Right, because why, like, why would he want just, or he, she, whatever you want to call Boro, um, want just, like, her mother's blood that badly? That exactly. makes sense. That's what I, uh, we kind of ended up in the same place, I okay. think. Okay, that makes me confused. feel better. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, I'm confused, and I'm sure someone will, someone out there will tell me I'm wrong in what I just explained, but yeah. I don't. I don't feel confused, which is weird because usually when I can't, you know, write everything out to get myself clearly from point A to point B, I wind up in a place where I'm like so frustrated and unsatisfied, but that's not how I feel right now. Yeah. Like I, I oddly like feel clear on the matter, even though I can't do what I just said. I would like not to speak in your place, but having a similar experience, I think it's that for me, the character arcs are or specifically Lisa is resolved in a way that I feel satisfied and yes. honestly Lou too like I hate that I feel bad for him but I do uh fuck dude <laughs> so this is more praise for Eric Lang yeah how can you be such a piece of shit but kind of make me like I, I was about to say, make me cry for you, but it wasn't really for him. It was for Jonathan, but yeah. that stuff at the end with them and him realizing what happened to his son and him oh. being, being there, but not being able to like access his child the way he used to, it shattered my heart into a million pieces. And I was crying for the person who was teed up as a vile villain in the show. Yeah, he's grotesque, but um, I would say that there's a lot of strength in storytelling if you can have empathy for the grotesque and uh, for the vile and still like 
that is where some of the best storytelling comes from. Your characters don't have to be good people to be interesting or take you on an emotional journey. And man, I went on a journey with him and poor Jonathan. And when oh. he like grabs his hand and it fucking the falls off. Falls. Yeah. Oh. Devastating. Uh, and that's that last scene of him in the, the bed where he doesn't even want to hear it. It's all... It's also because that story he tells her early on, remember when he's trying to get yes. her to, to sell herself and he tells that story about, you know, why he's got such a powerful connection to film in that moment. All I could think is like, now you're trapped in that yep. where you can only in your own head, come up with these things that you would want to see on screen and you will never get that opportunity again. And like, you suck, but it hurt. Like I, I feel it. Yeah. Oh, I felt it. I mean, that is, like we said, it's all there in that first episode, I guess. It's really, um, really well done. And I can't say enough about his sleeper performance. Like I, it does, this show does not work without you having empathy for this terrible human being or sympathy maybe is a better word. Oh I, my, I, I really can't get over his work here. I will say one thing I'm very sad about though. Hmm. If we do get a brand new cherry flavor season two, I guess it will not include Catherine Keener. <laughs> I know. Well, I imagine she's hard to lock down for contracts. I did like the the actor who played Mary quite a bit, Sienna Werber. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm very excited that, you know, Boro is now in her body. So I assume that will pave the way to season two if there is one. But man, Catherine Keener is so electric in this. And- the costume design and the way that they frame her and her reaction and her timing to things. It's just, it is so specific to her that I can fully say with the utmost confidence that if anyone else played that character, it would not have hit that level. Yeah. It's very unlikely, man. She just, what, what an all in (laughs) performance. Um, I want to, so that the, um, what's it, Mary, That might be my one gripe with the show. Gripe is a bit strong. It's just that I feel like she becomes a really um, strong presence in the back half of the season. And by then we're so far along in the story. I'm like, I don't really care about you. Uh, I've got a lot of other things I'm paying attention to right now. And she never like, not due to the performance or anything, just I think how late it is by the time we get to know her. I have very little... I just I found it hard to get wrapped up in her side of the drama when I was already so firmly on this ride with Lisa Nova and when she goes like a fully I guess you would say fully crazy and starts killing people I was I it didn't track for me as well as if we had known her a little better and watch her go from something else to that person that's fair I mean I wouldn't have minded seeing more of her also I think I think I got I think I got all I needed because there were so many other characters here that required that that screen time and that full arc and especially given how things end up for her. But I don't know, I guess if they had started focusing on her earlier on, it wouldn't have mattered if ultimately her story came to an end that way. Yeah, I guess for me, it's the transition from like. I think it does want us to empathize with her when she was first introduced and then she becomes an antagonist so quickly that I, I didn't get much out of that, like one episode of empathy. I think part of the reason that I leaned into that more easily is because it kind of mirrored Lisa's impulsiveness. Like 
Like basically Lisa gets like immediately when all of this happens to her, she, um, she goes straight to Boro, takes Boro up on, on the offer and is just like set his life on fire. <laughs> so that felt like Mary's, you know, well, fuck all this because of everything that happened to me. Let's burn the world down kind of thing. Yeah, that's fair. That's pretty fair. Yeah, that was my, that was like my one, aside from the, like I said, that I don't necessarily buy into Lisa, like so quickly jumping into this deal with him, which I got over real quickly when other stuff happened. That was my main, like, I'm not sure I'm where the show wants me to be with this character yeah, right now. I get, I definitely understand that. Um, you know who else I loved in this from Channel Zero? Jeff Ward. Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't watch all of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, you know, mo- most of my, like, my fan fandom for him, I part, a big part of the reason why I'm a big fan of his is because of his work in Channel Zero. But when you go from Channel Zero to this, whoa, does that open up, like, a wide range of possibilities? And I was surprised how full his story felt, <laughs> even though he is largely there to, you know, service Lisa's story her growth as a character and also her moving forward in this mission to get back at Lou but there's like a subtlety to watching Roy grow from the beginning of it to the end that I very much appreciated and thought he made the most of I agree completely I didn't actually revisiting the first couple episodes made me realize how much I hadn't like pegged him as one to pay attention to at Mm -hmm. the beginning and I was impressed by how much I did care about him and what a death Oh my god. What the fuck? I know. Oh my god, just ruthless. I was so sad for him too because he had just had that that uh speech right before where he's like I'm going to get my shit together. I don't want to <laughs> be the one who lost it all and then he's like decapitated. And and what a way to be decapitated. I don't know, genuinely upsetting to me. Yeah. And and I've seen a lot of decapitations in a lot of movies and shows over the years and I, you know, usually that kind of level of gore is uh, either just entertaining or sometimes gratuitous. And in this one, I was like, wow, that was really effective because I am fucked up by what there, happened to him. I think there's there are a million and one reasons why that's the case. I, th- I think it definitely comes from story and the fact that he is delivering a compelling arc for this character all on his own. He also becomes the main rock for Lisa. And by the end of the show, everyone around her is pretty much dead. So he's literally all she has. They have a connection together that I believed in. But then on top of that, the way that that is that shot and executed, it's like, I feel like I'm more accustomed to, you know, the campy slasher movie, just, you know, come in and, and lop a head off. There's there's something about using the machete and like feeling the weight on the first the first hit that you're like, holy shit. And then it's like it gives it time to make you say holy shit even more and even louder as the rest of it plays out. It's just like the whole sequence is just built and executed and earned very well. I agree. And I think it's also it goes back to what you were saying, like his the framing of it with his whole I'm going to get my life together and like how he's trying to stay away from his self-destructive instincts, but he just gets sucked back into Lisa's orbit and yeah, gets destroyed. The way I just sickeningly described that, too, just makes me think of of every gross out thing that this show does. Cause I was just looking at the IMDB and I caught Jules Brandenburg uh, played by Jason Blair. And the way that they shoot that 
And and uh, I would say Channel Zero had this deliberate pacing down like pretty well, but this isn't this isn't a quick moving show. It is very very slow and very much puts you in Lisa's headspace. And when you're witnessing things like that, that gives you some real time to just like sit and soak in the horror of anything bad that happens to someone around her. I just want to make sure I'm thinking about the same thing. That was the director who got yes. caught on fire, right? Yeah, yes, pretty gnarly. <sighs> <laughs> it's a very intense show it really is and yet I, somehow I could not stop watching it wasn't like oh this is intense I need a minute nope that, like that's the other thing it's like like in addition to not fully wrapping my brain around the story and the meaning of it all and exactly how this magic works and the afterlife and all that like I can't I can't even process how I loved it so much. Do you know what I mean? I there do. were so many moments where I'm like, this is gross and off-putting, but I was just like totally mesmerized. And then when, when I would, you know, stop watching an episode for a night, like I would feel that draw to go back to it, kind of like all, all these characters are drawn to the movie and then drawn to each other. I, I feel like that effect radiates off screen. I wish people could see this in video form. I feel like I'm more animated than I've ever been. <laughs> you are doing a lot of arms. <laughs> I really am. I'm also schwitzing now. It's a, Look, it's intense. We're intense about it. Um, but to, to speak to what you were just saying, it had an interesting un- effect on me that very, very few things did, which is after I watched a bunch of episodes and it was time for me to go to sleep and I turned off my lights. Uh, it was just this awareness that like spooky things are in the world and maybe sometimes you should be afraid at night. <laughs> and like, it's not like I went to bed like terrified and had nightmares. I think I've watched a little too much horror for that to happen very often. Yeah. Uh, but it it was like this moment of like, oh, right, the dark can be kind of scary, which rarely happens to me. Oh, it's a sh- it's a show that kind of, you know, cracks the door open to those yes. possibilities while telling you, you know, there is a divide. They can't necessarily come to get you, but it's possible. It's possible yeah. if you have the right, you know, person or tool in order to bridge that gap and connect it and let them in. I also have to say... Uh, my mom walked in when it was it was an early scene when like the the creature thing that you know we're trying to debate what the heck that is or if it's just her mom is like behind her yeah spooky she walks in she goes oh no and then left (laughs) (laughs) so apparently that was effectively scary (laughs) i loved that and that's that's a like big round of applause to the sound design team for picking that noise too that that noise was very unsettling super spooky oh I like this show, man. I liked it so much and I want it to catch on so badly so we could get more story. But I mean, I, the way I would read it in the end in terms of trying to figure out what a season two could even be, I feel like this closes the door to Lisa's story. And if anything, we're getting the next chapter for Bora, what she, what it, now does in Mary's body. Sure. And I actually, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I would love to see, I would really love to see Boro move to, I don't know, a different city or tackle a different industry, but because there's, you know, there's tons of bad behavior in all forms, all across, all across the world, no matter what industry or place you're in. So to see her try to feed it, to see it try to feed on that, it is it, but he's a he. He starts he, as a he. I don't yeah. know. 
I, that's why I said pick whatever you want. We're All right. talking about the actresses, I guess. Yeah. Spirit is they the it. What but even any- what even would you quantify a body hopping originally male ancient spirit as? I've, I've got nothing. No answer <laughs> to that. But I I will say seeing Boro try to feed off of negative energy in a different form elsewhere sounds very appealing to me for a season two. Yeah, I agree. I also, I do think there's a lot of potential there in that that was not the body Boro wanted. It was mm-hmm. a settling for, you know, what was Boro there? It's a perfect body, not, not one missing an eye. Um, they want to live as many years as you can before jumping. Although I guess it wouldn't be possible to jump so soon. So Boro's kind of stuck in there for a stuck bit. Stuck there for, what, yeah. yeah. Boro said decades. Yeah. Like it takes decades to be able to do it again. But maybe right. maybe that's what the the one of the motivating factors could be is that Bora wants to jump now, now, now and has right. to resort to some form of dark magic in order to gain that power. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting to see, or I guess, let me rephrase that. It would be interesting to see this character we saw introduced as so extremely powerful have to deal with something they didn't want. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm like an actual setback, which rarely we see this season. Speaking of which, I hate that I think what happened to Jennifer's family is funny. Like it's awful and terrible, but the way they leave it and never return to it is fucking funny. It's designed to be that way. It's it's almost like the warped sitcom within brand new cherry (laughs) flavor. Everything about them is, you know, quintessential cookie cutter perfect family type thing and then she the boro just comes in and feeds them spaghetti and does that on their brains man leland orser also never gets enough credit so true so good so good i mean i, I liked what that character wound up giving to the show overall but i'm always a fan of his and want more of him yeah and very standout for a character that's very little screen time in yes show. yes um trying to rack my brain for other details that I'm going to be mad if I don't bring up. I know there's so there's just like I I would just if I got the opportunity to talk to Rosa Salazar I would just be up to my eyeballs in silly like dumb production questions like what like what was the stew um what was the stew how did you throw up a cat what's the deal with with your side part there I just (laughs) I'd like I don't even know how I would say that uh yeah that's I would not go with side parts and such a (laughs) casual hair term but you're yeah it's a tough one uh I just I also because I'm not super familiar with Rosa Salazar outside (gasps) um I never saw Undone so I've only seen my Haley I can help you with this (laughs) I am such a fan of hers and the only reason I was really aware of her work was because I was very into the Maze Runner films and I think one of her very first big uh you know big blockbustery type roles was in Maze Runner The Scorch Trials and I don't know we were I went on a set visit for that we spoke in, you know, one of those roundtable interviews. And I thought she was just like super cool. Like I liked her her approach to her work and everything. And I just liked her vibe in general. And I'm like, I'm probably gonna like a lot of your stuff. Um, if you want a recommendation, 
She was in a movie that I caught at South by Southwest. I feel like it was either 2014 or 15 called Night Owls that Charles Hood directed. And Charles is just like a super cool guy. And he made a really cool movie that she's fantastic in. So if you're looking for more Rosa Salazar content that isn't uh, Alita, because I know it's one of the most popular titles, go check it out. And Undone is great too. Yeah, I keep reading that. Um, it's I'll, I'll check it out. Fascinating. I, I would just, you know, really only, I had seen her in the Scorch Trials, but like I wasn't as into those movies as you. So that kind of receded for me. I remembered her, of course, from Alita, but you know, her face looks so different. Um, I think I just didn't know she had this character in her and I didn't know she was so steely and I didn't know she was such a grown ass woman. Like I probably because Alita makes her look so young. Yeah. Um, I was fascinated to to Google her and be like, oh yeah, that tracks. I get why you're playing this character this way because yeah. you are an adult. <laughs> <laughs> she has like a death stare too in this show. Ooh. Like Ooh. I would not want to piss her off and get that glare because it is intimidating. I There's so many reasons I wouldn't want to <laughs> piss her off. But yes, that's up there. Like that scene where she kind of holds her own in, in jail when she gets yeah. thrown in prison and like she is she's being like swarmed with people who like look like they're going to beat the shit out of her because they're getting pissed at her. And the way she kind of just like maintains that stare and then pukes a kitten, it's brilliant. I it was in the first episode, not just after she like so, you know, in the morning, the next morning when she learns that he's stolen her film, she goes to confront him and she's walking out and she's very upset. But it was when he assaults her and her acting during that scene that I, I was oh like, my God. oh, she's next level. That is mighty hard to watch. Yeah. And she completely sells somebody desperately holding on to their composure while a much larger man is physically attacking them. Oh, she's so good in this. Like, she's incredible. Can't I can't handle it. Really, everybody is. I mean, there's so many supporting performances that are vital to this world. I loved Code, Manny Jacinto. I Lord. love Manny Jacinto. Man, he was just so like good and sweet and so sweet. It's not fair. It's not fair. But if uh, <laughs> if anybody is really feeling Manny Jacinto after this, definitely watch Nine Perfect Strangers, which is coming up, I think, next week. He has a pretty significant role in that series, which will be on Hulu. And um, looking real foxy, which he always does, but yeah. he just looks, looks a little different and foxier. Um, and he just, I don't know, both of them, probably because I watched them so close together, and he's playing pretty different characters, which are pretty different from his good place character I was like man this dude is about to have such a big career yeah I, f- I feel bad nine perfect strangers was the show that kind of fell by the wayside this last these last uh, two weeks maybe I'll have to circle back you got time I think it's going week to week so uh you'll have some time to catch up it's a and it's a fun watch I will take that I feel like I need a fun watch after this, but at the same time, I feel like I just need to rewatch this and I had fun with it. I don't know. Yeah. Now I'm like, wait, is the embargo still on that? I just wrote down the time just in case. Okay. And I can't say it's a fun watch. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Another 
supporting performance that's a small character that I want to highlight is um, Patrick Fischler, who plays Alvin Sender. The, uh, you know, the, the money man. Ah, yes. Yeah. Like that's that speech where he's he's like, like, I don't have a creative bone in my body type thing. And I need I just I feel like he was he was a perfect late game audition uh, audition audition Friday um, after having heard about him through Lou so much and then having him have more of a presence later on. And I feel like having him kind of take control of things towards the end really also contributed to, you know, sealing the deal of, uh, of Lisa's transformation through the, through the whole thing and, and her moving on with her life. So sealing the deal of Lou being completely fucked and locked out of his life. Yeah. It's just, that was a, that was a character that I thought was very well worked into the show overall. And I thought he was great in that role. I also thought it was a clever thing because I think because you hear about him through Lou for so long, you expect that he will also be a piece of shit. And it was cleverly played that he actually was not and was Mm -hmm. really on her side. And that only further highlights what a true piece of shit Lou is. Was he though? So the, the part that the part that threw me off was that end conversation that they have at the table mm-hmm. where, you know, he basically is telling her everything she wants to hear in that. Like, yes, you are directing this movie here, here. But then the way he refers to like, here is your movie, you will direct it. But it's better off that now you're only serving one master. Yes, that's it's, true. It's like On- I, he feels like someone who presents as a hundred percent good guy. You are safe in my hands, but really because he has the power and the money, there's always going to be that threat looming no matter who she's working with. Yeah. I guess the bar is so low. I'm like, he didn't well, try to sexually I know, assault her. I know. <laughs> but you're very <laughs> correct. Are we missing anything? I don't probably I, I know I will say uh, the the production design is incredible what a tremendous bit of work by that team and making this like I don't know this jungle aesthetic work in LA and feel real and like a like like it I don't everything they do just feels like maybe well fuck maybe that is down a street I've just never been down in LA could yeah be. production design cinematography the costume design so good it's, it's quite something yeah i don't know it's like uh it's gonna be on my mind for a while and i don't know if i'll be able to do it anytime soon but i have every intention of re-watching it and trying to pick up every detail i can that i missed the first time i am right there with you all right that's it this was your primarily brand new cherry flavor episode of the witching hour i also <laughs> very random i loved how the the title card changed every yeah. episode I don't know. That's just like, it's, it's such a small detail, but I feel like it always really spoke to the content in the show. And I, and I got into the habit of looking forward to seeing how it was going to change for the next time around. Yeah. Same. I have a, I like when I first heard the title of the show back whenever it was in the like new to Netflix for the month, I, it was in my head that that's a saying brand new cherry flavor is a saying, like it means like the hot new thing. But after Googling that, I guess it's not, or at least Google isn't showing me that. Have you heard that before? Am I crazy? 
Well, I mean, I just Googled brand new cherry flavor meaning and nothing is coming That's up. That's what I tried all of this yesterday because I kept seeing people like say things like, are they ever going to explain this title? And I, I guess it's not. I thought it was an idiom. I guess it's not. Uh, I really thought that was something people said, like, just as this is the hot new thing. That's kind <laughs> like, of what I... I- that's like what I assumed without, yeah. without really knowing for sure, trying to look it up. And I love how you're like, I Googled it all day yesterday and I'm like repeating your mistakes and I'm not finding it. Like, why am I doing that? Yeah. I tried all the, all the major things you would search saying, what does it mean? Explained idiom. None of them yielded any results. So I think I'm just crazy. That's interesting. I wonder if there's something in the source material that maybe explains it more specifically that wasn't I- fully included in the movie. I'm curious about that. I, I wish I had time to read the book. Um, I understand it's pretty different. Like Boro is a like a biker or something and he's male. Hmm. I'd be curious to read it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, while we go do that research, why don't you guys have a good one? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Witching Hour. That's it. We are out of here. You've officially survived The Witching Hour. <laughs>